For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. So I want to talk this morning about radical interconnectedness, interconnectedness of reality. And this talk is uh, referencing the Yen Buddhist school, the Sutra. So it's, this is a kind of preview, a little bit of uh, the Yen seminar I'll be doing. Uh, but I wanted to talk about the aspect of how different ways in which we're deeply interconnected. And as a kind of background for that, uh, I want to mention the um, a little bit of background on the Hawaiian, just a little bit. Um, so one of the main teachings of Huayen is the fourfold Dharma Datu, uh, which is very much a background to important Soto Zen teachings like the Sandokai or Harmony of Difference and Sameness and the five ranks or five degrees. Um, the third aspect of that Huayen fourfold Datu is of the universal in particular. So uh, this is how this interconnectedness works. And I'm not going to go into detail on this. Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about it at the seminar. But um, there's these two aspects of reality in the harmony of difference and sameness. We talk about it as difference and sameness. We can talk about it as the particular or the phenomenal reality as opposed to the universal or ultimate reality. Uh, this is a, and it goes back to old Buddhist teaching of two truths, that there is conventional phenomenal reality and the ultimate universal truth that we uh, get a glimpse of in Zazen. So each particular situation There can't be some abstract, universal, or ultimate truth separate from phenomena, separate from the particular situations of our lives. And each particular situation, circumstance of our life, is also uh, a particular causal, you know, causal condition that expresses all of the ultimate or the universal truth. So uh, they completely interact in this, in this third Dharmadhatu from the Huayan Buddhist school that um, is actually fundamental to our practice that the universal aspect and the particular phenomenal events of our life and of our world completely 
interact without hindering each other. And actually, they're not separate at all. We can talk about it in terms of delusion and awakening. Uh, but delusion is completely delusion. Awakening is completely awakening. And they, they're not different, actually. They're not separate. In the middle of delusion, when we, when we really settle into our delusions, that's awakening. And when we completely allow the unfolding of awakening in our, in our body and mind and heart, um, we see through all the delusions. So, uh, so that's background. <laughs> um, one of the most um, frequently expressed versions of this or expressions of this vision of reality from the Avatamsaka, or flower in the sutra, is called Indra's Net. Many of you have heard of heard about this. Um, so this 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 appears in the Flower Ornament Sutra, which actually we're, uh, our sangha is doing monthly readings of the first Friday evening of each month. So we so we read some from from the Flower Ornament Sutra a couple evenings ago, um, but also what? So uh, again, I'm not going to go too much into Hawaiian history or anything like that today, this morning, but the Huayan school developed in China, came to Japan as the Kagon school. It was never uh, a hugely popular branch of Buddhism, but it's still there, and it's uh, very important as a background to our practice and teaching. So, Indra's Net uh, was elaborated from by the Huayan teachers from the Flower Ornament or Avatamsaka Sutra, and Indra's net is a way of describing reality. The whole universe is seen as a multi-dimensional network. Maybe now with the internet, we we have another example of how this works. But uh, at each point in the net where there's a where the strands meet, where there's a mesh, uh, we is according to this. Metaphor, we could say, is a jewel. And each of those jewels reflects all of the, the light from all the jewels around, around them. And each of those jewels reflects the light. And so the whole universe of light and jewels is reflected in each jewel. So this is a way of seeing all of reality, all of the universe in each thing, in each element, in each place where the meshes meet. Uh, and this continues on forever. So this is a way of talking about reality. And so, you know, we can see that each object actually is an expression of everything. And each person, each one of us, is an expression of everything. Each thing or each person ultimately reflects and expresses the, the radiance of the entire universe. All of totality or wholeness can be seen in each of its parts. So that sounds abstract or philosophical, but it's, for, it's actually 
really a wonderful way of seeing the wholeness of our lives. So, uh, great Vietnamese teacher Thich Nhat Hanh, for example, you know, holds up a paper and says, "Can you see the rain? Can you see the trees? Can you see the loggers and and the truck drivers who drove the logs to the mill?" that eventually became this piece of paper from which this piece, this piece of paper comes. And, you know, you can keep going. Had the, the waitress who served coffee to the logger that morning, you know, uh, it go, everything is connected to each thing. And, you know, that's true of us too. So I've, I often use the example of, uh, I'll ask how many of you remember your fourth grade teacher? A couple, three, four, five people here at Ebenezer raised their hands. Of those, of the five of you, and I, I didn't notice how many on, on, online, David raised hand is up. He remembers his fourth grade teacher. I do. Um, but ha- how many of you thought about her or him in the last month? Well, David Ray. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, yes. So it's, Anyway, the point is that who, what we, are, what we is sitting on our cushions, sitting on our seat, includes so many beings, and all of them, and, and all the beings who influence them. How many, how many, how many of our fourth grade teachers remember their fourth grade teachers? Uh, for example, so everybody you've ever known is part of what's happening on your seat right now. And, uh, you know, of course, some people maybe more fully than others, the people you see every week, but uh, this week, but uh, many, many beings are part of what we is right now. Okay, so interest is an expression of that how deeply interconnected we are. But um, in the Hawaiian teaching, coming from the Flower Ornament Sutra, there's a whole range of samadhi instruction. So samadhi, same means meditation, literally concentration. Uh, And there are uh, various meditation instructions based on particular concentration objects, like focusing on our breath or focusing on the sound of here at Ebenezer, the sound of the traffic below us, or um, it could be the mantra at the end of the Heart Sutra or a line from some song that's running through your head. Anyway, um, all of these concentration objects are uh, particular samadhis, particular deep, meditations. And, you know, as we sit here for a period or when we have a chance to sit longer for a day or more, uh, we naturally, part of our experience or all of our experience, or maybe those, those are the same, is this deep settling. And these um, samadhis, these practices, help um, 
go beyond our limited preconceptions. We can uh, feel and, and, and encourage fresh perspectives on reality, on our reality, on our lives. And then, and that helps to expand our mental capacities to express this deep interconnectedness, to share that in our everyday activities. So these uh, samadhis are important, and there's a whole bunch of them in the Flower Ornament Sutra that are discussed and described and amplified in Huayan teaching. Oh, examples, the Lion Emergence Samadhi. And in this samadhi, it is said that every single hair tip, on every single hair tip, or on the tip of every single blade of grass, on the tip of my staff, there abides numerous Buddha lands containing a vast array of Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, and liberating teachings. So this is uh, a way of seeing, uh, you know, we talk about Shakyamuni Buddha, the Buddha of our world, historically, 2,500 years ago, more or less, in Eastern India. But in this way of seeing things, that includes Indus Net and this Lion emergence samadhi. There are, and, and it's, this is very much the case in the in the wonderful psychedelic flower ornament sutra. There are many, 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 many Buddhas, and each of those have around them many, 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 many bodhisattvas. This is not the way we usually think about reality, but this is what is expressed in this this branch of Buddhism. Along with the Lion Emergence Bodhisattva, another model is called the Ocean Seal Samadhi, or the Ocean Mara Samadhi. This is another, uh, an example, so there are also pages of names of these different Samadhis, the Flower on the Sutra. But in this one, uh, that's elaborated in Huayan Buddhism, and again, a background for our practice Awareness is like the vast ocean surface. So the vast ocean surface reflects and confirms in detail all phenomena of the entire universe reflected in the surface of the ocean. However, as we know, there are waves, many phenomena that arise waves breaking on the surface of the ocean distort its ability to mirror exactly and plainly all of the phenomena, all of the sky and the birds flying above the ocean. But when the waves subside, as the water calms and clears, the ocean mirror again reflects all clearly. And this is a, another metaphor for our individual minds. Of course, 
in the midst of many thoughts and concerns and considerations and, and uh, awareness of all the suffering in the world and all these turbulences, the, the, the ocean is disturbed, our mind is disturbed. But also, and meditation helps with this, our minds are capable of settling serenely and reflecting clearly, reflecting clear awareness. So this, this uh, is a very helpful image. In Ocean Seal Samadhi, the seal is like a stamp confirming things. It's also the same word that's used for mudra, the hand position we use in Sazen and other times. Um, and this, um, this particular Samadhi is uh, important in our Soto Zen teaching. So Dogen Zenji, uh, Ehe Dogen, the founder of Soto Zen in Japan in the 1200s, wrote a, did a, a chapter, an essay in his Shobogenzo, True Dharma, a Treasury, on the Ocean Seal Samadhi. It begins like this. In being Buddhas and Zen adepts, it is necessary to be the Ocean Seal Samadhi. In swimming in this concentration, the samadhi, there is a time of speaking, a time of experiencing, a time of acting. So he goes on, there's a whole essay where he talks about this, and he talks about how reality is being made up of all kinds of composite elements, five skandhas, as, as I was saying before, in Tom Theory's introduction to his translation of this, he says, the ocean seal samadhi, or as it is sometimes rendered, the ocean reflection samadhi, is said to be the samadhi or concentration from which the flower ornament sutra emerged. Abruptly revealing the vast panorama of the Buddha's enlightenment. So the Buddha's complete total Anuttara Samyaksa and Bodhi and surpass complete awakening. Uh, we can't, we can't, our, our, our human, limited human minds can't really get how vast that is. So, uh, Cleary continues the treatise or essay, Return to the Source Samadhi is a uh, Huayan work popular in Chinese Chan schools, Zen schools. It says, and this is a this is from one of the great Huayan Chinese Huayan uh, ancestors who developed this Huayan philosophy. The ocean seal is the fundamental. This is so. This is a quote from a treatise from one of them. The ocean seal is the fundamental awareness of true thusness. When delusion ends, the mind is clear. Myriad forms simultaneously appear. It is like the ocean. Due to wind, there arise waves. If the wind stops, the ocean water is calm and clear, and all images can be reflected in. Unquote. So in terms of the mind, the ocean seal samadhi, no concentration, 
is said to be referred to holistic, impartial awareness of wholeness. So, you know, we can see this, just hearing this name, Ocean Seal Samadhi, as a kind of uh, meditation instruction. First, to fully observe all of the waves, the turbulence, all of the thoughts and feelings, all of the, all that is painful and uncomfortable in our lives, in our world. That's all there. As we sit zazen in one period of zazen or over time, as we continue to sustain a practice of just sitting, at times, it's like sediment settling out of a glass of water. All of that turbulence settles out. And there's this clear reflection, clear seeing. So the Hawaiian school, uh, these Hawaiian teachers in China, uh, from the 500s to the 800s, uh, were wonderful at, at giving examples of this, demonstrating this. So Fazang, who I'll talk about much more at the seminar, Hawaiian seminar in two weeks, Fazang, 643 to 712, uh, he was the third of the five great Hawaiian patriarchs. Uh, and Fazang, you know, even though he was the third of the, these five, might be considered the true founder of the school. He was particularly skillful and adept at devising models and metaphors to help us see this profound Hawaiian teachings, to help people be aware of these. So one of uh, Fazang's students was Empress Wu. Very powerful. She was a dedicated patron and student of Buddhism and uh, arguably the most powerful woman in Asian history, East Asian history. She lived from 624 to 705. She actually reigned from 665 to 705, not quite as long as Elizabeth II. But actually, she was, even before 665, she was very important and powerful in Chinese society. Anyway, she uh, worked, she uh, studied with Fazang. And Fazang used as one metaphor to help her see this interconnected reality. A golden lion that is, was sitting nearby them in her palace. He pointed to the lion and showed the non-obstructing interpenetration of the universal and the particular by describing in detail how the gold, like the universal principle, pervaded the object completely. The whole thing was gold all the way through, this golden statue of a lion that this empress had in her palace. But also... Uh, <clears throat> its particular unique form was that of a lion. We can see it as gold or as a lion. And each particular part of the golden lion was completely gold, and each part was also completely the lion, a part of the lion. So this, uh, this uh, 
wonderful book by Thomas Cleary, Entry into the Inconceivable, which is an introduction to Goya. There's a picture of that lion on the cover. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the lion's face, the lion's mane, the lion's feet, all of them were gold, and all of, and all of those portions were lion. You can't have the lion without any part. Another uh, metaphor that Fazan used to kind of instruct Emperor's rule in this was uh, a hall of mirrors. So he placed mirrors on the, yeah, there was a room in the palace and he placed, Fazan placed mirrors, arranged to have mirrors placed on the ceiling, on the floor, on the four walls, and in the four corners of the room. And then he placed a Buddha image in the very center of the room with a lamp here. And then he brought Empress Wu into the room. And standing there, they could see in any direction, reflections in any one mirror that clearly reflected all the other reflections. So there were Buddhas forever down this way and up this way and, you know, in all directions. So this was um, a way of seeing how, you know, we could say in this net or how the interweaving of reality actually is. And that included seeing the specific reflection of this Buddha image in each mirror, fully <laughs> demonstrating the unobstructed interpenetration of each particular Buddha and the totality. Each one, each mirror contained all of the Buddhas in all directions. And they didn't, and they didn't obstruct each other. So this is an important part of why you're teaching this non-obstruction, that the universal and the particular don't, don't block each other. So I think I've mentioned this before, but I once saw such a room in the city of 10,000 Buddhas, which is in Ukiah in Northern California, north of San Francisco. There's this... Uh, it's actually a Chinese Buddhist center. It's a large compound. It's, uh, and I was involved with some uh, dia ongoing dialogue with people from this Chan Center, which was found, founded by Master Hua, one of the great Chinese Buddhist teachers who came to America. Um, and in, they had one room that was like this hall of mirrors. They had, I guess there was a mirror on the top. I don't think there was on the floor, but there were the four walls and maybe more than the in, in between the four walls were mirrors and there was a Buddha in the middle. So you walk in there and you can see Buddhas everywhere. I mean, forever. <laughs> so this is in space, but the metaphor also works for time. In all times, going back to Shakyamuni and the seven Buddhas before Buddha, we, we chant sometimes. Uh, and Buddhas in the future, all reflecting each other. 
So, um, along with these, you know, models that Fawzon created, uh, other the other Hawaiian masters, such as the fourth ancestor patriarch in that school, Chen Guan, he was from 738 to 839. There won't be a test, I'm just, you know, mentioning this. But they developed many intricate philosoph philosophical descriptions of the various aspects of interconnectedness. Uh, for example, the tenfold causes for realization of totality, the non-obstruction of space and time. Now, space doesn't obstruct time and vice versa. And the not the ten non-obstructions of totality or wholeness. So, uh, anyway, there, the Huayan the philosophy is considered by many the most profound expression of Mahayana Buddhism. And you know the this this uh, these various presentations philosophical present presentations require you know lengthy study or one could study them and, and the dialectics of the interaction of this this interaction of the universal and the particular just describe it in one way. Um, so this is, um, we can benefit from these. These are not new and separate teachings, but they expand on and elaborate this, this philosophy of interconnectedness, of wholeness. So I want to talk about what all of this means in terms of practice. So these Hawaiian teachings present these splendid, inspiring visions of the wonder of the universal reality far beyond our limited perspectives from our limited human capacities. As we are caught within, you know, physical details and uh, physical limitations that uh, we each are, our conditioned awareness. But this teaching of interconnectedness encourages the possibility fresh, deeper ways of seeing our world and its wonders and our lives. These teachings are encouraging and we can see sense levels of spiritual interconnection with others and with the wholeness of reality. Just to have this sense can lift us beyond our ordinary attachments and prejudices to see this wholeness in all of these ramifications. This kind of vision can help to help us heal our individual confusion, grasping, and sense of sadness and loss to the difficulties of our lives in the world. And also, you know, ultimately to see how our individual confusion and our collective confusion and delusions are not separate from seeing the wholeness. Each piece is an expression of the wholeness. So this, these Hawaiian teachings offer guidance for a more complete balance in our practice. 
how can we hear the siren going by? Hear it, Ebenezer, but also I'm sure you hear it online too. So, that siren is going to assist someone who also may remember their fourth grade teacher. When they, when they are asked to think about it. How do we find balance in our practice? So the emphasis on integration of glimpses into the ultimate with the particular problems and challenges of our everyday situation and help us not get caught up either in blissful absorption and awareness of ultimate reality, which is uh, the most dangerous, dangerous attachment. So attachment to the ultimate or non-attachment is considered the most dangerous attachment. And that, you know, that's not so much of a problem for us practicing in the world, in the big city, but for people who go off into the mountains and do this practice for months or years, you know, it's, it's tempting to see this wholeness and really hang in there with that, get attached to that. We have, but, we, but we know that the point is to, atten- to attend to the conven- conventional realities of our world. But with some sense, some background sense of this omnipresence of wholeness or totality, it helps us to balance our practice. <laughs> to, to balance our practice of being helpful in the world with the difficulties of the world, with all of the troubles in our world and in our lives. But also it further, that, that further informs our deeper sense of wholeness. So... Um, This is very much the uh, background for a lot of Soto Zen teachings. For example, there's the Soto Zen slogan in Japanese, Memitsu no Kafu. I think that's been mentioned here before, but Kafu is house style. So the style of Soto Zen for us. Memitsu means, well, it means the, the intimacy of each thread, of each, of each piece of, each particular piece of reality. So in Mitzvah Kafu's attention to each, to the details. In our lives, in our practice, in our Sangha. And this, this, we can see this coming out of this uh, interaction of wholeness or totality with each particular event. There are various YN tools for bringing 
the universal into our everyday practice. And a lot of those are expressed in Sento's Ed too. There's a chapter, and I can't, I'm meant to check if we've gone through that chapter in our reading Friday evenings. The chapter is called Purifying Practice. I'm not sure if we read, got to that yet. Uh, it's the 11th chapter. I don't know if you remember. We're getting close to it. We're getting close to it. Okay. Anyway, in this, in this uh, chapter of the Flower and the Sutra, um, there are many practice instructions to be used as awakening reminders in all kinds of everyday situations. There are 140 different verses. So this is one of those sections where there's all in verses. And they're used to encourage mindfulness or attention in particular circumstances. For example, some of the following situations are cited. When awakening from sleep, before, during, or after eating, when seeing a large tree, when seeing flowing water, when seeing flowers bloom, or a lake or a bridge, or when entering a house or leaving a house, or when giving a gift or receiving a gift, when meeting teachers, many various other kinds of people, or proceeding on roads, whether they're straight roads or winding roads or hilly roads. Each of these situations, there's a verse to be used in that situation mentioned to encourage mindfulness and as a reminder of the fundamental intention to help oneself and others bring the sense of totality into the, into the particular situation. So I just have one example. Seeing grateful people, they should wish that all beings be able to know the blessings of the Buddhas and, and Bodhisattvas. So that's a verse to say when seeing people expressing gratefulness. And these, uh, these uh, verses from the Flower and Sutra from Moyen are used in monasteries today. Tassahara, there's a a verse in front of the bathhouse and that you say when you enter, talking about how bathing one's body can be used as an example to help the refreshing of all the of each being and all beings. For example, and there there are verses to say when brushing your teeth or when washing your hands and so forth. And some of those are used in monasteries. So um, I want to close by talking a little bit more about the sutra. And, and actually one of the sutras in the sutra, in, in our Friday evening, the Tamsaka reading group, we're currently working on the Dasabhumaka Sutra, which is the 10 stage, it's called the 10 stages sutra, the 10 grounds, and showing development of bodhisattva awareness. And that was a separate sutra, actually one of the first Mahayana sutras in India. But it's also part of this huge flower in the sutra. Tom Terry's translation is over, translation is over 1,600 pages. It's a thick book. And that's supposed to be like a kind of uh, abbreviated version of the, the whole flower in the sutra, which is, which is what Buddha 
actually saw when he first was awakened. Supposedly, this is, and he, and he, he spoke the sutra, he was aware of the sutra, but nobody could understand it then. Anyway, uh, so we need things like Soto Zen to show us how it works. But uh, there's another chapter of the sutra that's also an independent sutra called the Gandavyuha. Theory translates as entry into the realm of reality. And uh, what an academic course on that on that text. It's wonderful. And so I'm just closing with a little invocation of that. Uh, in that sutra, there's a story of a pilgrim named Sudana. And uh, he's a young monk. And uh, he's instructed by Maitreya Bodhisattva. Or maybe it's Manjushri at the beginning. Manjushri, yeah. No, I guess it is Manjushri. Anyway, um, Manjushri actually sends him on the, on the way, and he ends up at the palace of Maitreya, the future Buddha. At any rate, um, at the end of that uh, pilgrimage to 53 different Bodhisattva teachers, who include monks and lay people, men and women, uh, uh, ho- homeless people, beggars, uh, wealthy people, uh, incense makers. I mean, it's just this whole panoply of different kinds of beings who are these great bodhisattvas, and each one of them sends Sudana, gives Sudana a teaching, a wonderful teaching, and then uh, sends them on to something says, I don't really, you know, I can't really tell you the whole thing. You have to go see this teacher. So he, he goes in turn to these 53 wonderful different teachers. Um, so I'm just going to read an excerpt from uh, Tom Clear's description of this in, uh, in closing, and then I hope we'll have some discussion and, uh, further perspectives. So uh, here he says Towards the end of his journey, Sudana is directed to Maitreya, the Buddha to be personification of loving-kindness. So this is one of the main bodhisattvas in, uh, in, in uh, Mahayana Buddhism. Maitreya is predicted by Shakyamuni to be the next future Buddha, you know, maybe in a, in a thousand years or a hundred thousand years. He doesn't know. He, in the meantime, he's sitting as a bodhisattva, waiting to, trying to understand um, how to save all sentient beings so that he can be a Buddha. And so as she sits there, she's considering how the mind works. So this is the, the Bodhisattva of the Yogacara Buddhism, which is another branch of Buddhism, which looks into uh, the phenomenology of the mind. Anyway, um, Sudana comes eventually to a great tower the tower of the treasury of adornments of the illuminator, which is Vairochana Buddha. I'll be talking about that a week from tomorrow, Vairochana, and this Buddha represents the cosmos as seen by bodhisattvas, the whole universe as awakened. And Vairochana reflects that this tower is the abode of bodhisattvas who understand the emptiness, signlessness, and wishlessness of all things, the abode of those whose intent is to benefit all beings, of those who have already left 
all worlds, but who appear in the worlds to help people. Of those who observe emptiness of all things, yet do not form the view of emptiness. Of those who course in formlessness, yet always enlighten those and awaken those who cling to forms. Of those who practice wishlessness, yet do not give up the will for awakening practice, and so on. In this vein, Sudana extols the qualities, this, this pilgrim Sudana extols the qualities of Bodhisattvas. Then Maitreya appears. He praises Sudana before a great assembly and then extensively praises the determination for awakening. Finally, Maitreya has Sudana enter the tower, which is then seen to, and that's the, the tower or palace of Maitreya. And this is where it gets weird. This tower is then seen to be boundlessly vast, as extensive as all space, and magnificently adorned with all manner of embellishments. Sudana also sees that inside the tower are innumerable similarly adorned towers, each one as extensive as space, yet not interfering with each other. This image symbolizes the central Huayan theme represented time and again throughout the Flower Ornament Sutra, all things being interdependent, therefore implying in their individual being the simultaneous being of all other things. So this is like David implying Jan, who implies Sophia. This, this way in which we are all interconnected. Thus it is said, let's get the sentence I want to. So I'll go back. All things being interdependent, therefore imply in their individual being the simultaneous being of all other things or other beings. Thus it is said that the existence of each element of the universe includes the existence of the whole universe and hence is as extensive as the universe itself. This point, a basic premise of the whole Huayan teaching, is dealt with in much more detail in all of the treatises translated in this book. So, um, this is um, weird, mind-boggling stuff, but it's actually, you know, uh, it's very much the background of Soto Zen. So the, the fourfold Dharma Dhatu I mentioned was, was elaborated in Dongshan, uh, by Dongshan, the founder in China of Soto Zen, in the five ranks or five degrees. It's another way of talking about this. Um, and so again, this, you know, um, sometimes people think of Zen as separate from Buddhism or different Buddhist schools are separate from each other. Uh, Dogen says it's all just the Buddha way. He didn't use the word Zen or Shoto or anything. Uh, yeah. this, this is all, all connected with practices and teachings of awakening. And they are there to help us in our practice. So I'll stop there. And um, I'm very interested in uh, hearing comments, 
responses, perspectives, questions you have about any of this. So please feel free. And Jerry, you can help me with, uh, I can see the people online, but maybe you can see also if somebody raises their hand. People online can raise your hand or use the little symbol at the bottom of your screen. So, comments, responses, questions. Again, this is just a little sample of what I'll be talking about Saturday, the 22nd of the afternoon, the seminar, the whole seminar. Oh, yeah, this is a little bit. Yes, Dylan. Um, I came in with this question. I think there's a little, maybe it's a little bit in the, the practices chapter um, of the uh, Sakha Sutra, but I'm wondering, like, what role? Can you hear him online? Can okay. you hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, good. Thank you. I'm wondering what role um, prayer has in 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 different types of Buddhism. I guess in Mahayana or in Zen, it sounds like the 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 you know different. Uh, invocations you can say when doing different things is uh, as listed kind of in the suit in the office which is sort of what I'm talking about but um, I don't know I just feel this kind of wish of like how how to how to like I guess Zazen is is like an embodiment of that um, and maybe prayer as a concept is sort of a Western Christian concept but um, I don't know. Is there is there is there some way? Is there ways that Zen or Mahayana Buddhism um, does that? Well, first I need to ask you: What do you mean by prayer? Um, uh, I mean bringing forward a wish for. Um, uh, well, it's a wish and a and a. And a Bringing or, or acknowledgement of um, the project of becoming free, I guess, uh, and and being being uh, being peace. So a wish for that and an acknowledgement of the potential for that, I guess. Yeah, we sometimes chant, "May all beings be happy." Yeah. So okay. Um, I think in the West, prayer often is, with theistic religions, prayer is often like looking up to some being, sometimes called God or whoever, mm -hmm. to help us with some particular thing. And that's in Buddhism too, popularly. Um, so uh, Buddhist practitioners, devotees call on particular Buddhas and Bodhisattvas for help with you know, various things. But that's also part of our, without assuming some being to help with some project, uh, just uh, I, I think it's that, again, depending on how you define the word prayer, and, and I'll just let that go, but we do... Um, we will be chanting the four bodhisattva vows at the end of this uh, 
the so that is falling on ending of all cutting through all delusions entering all dharma gates freeing all beings expressing the buddha way so those are you know things we wish for there's a one of the paramitas the transcendent practices is vow which also means taking on so vow the, the bodhisattva vows are these inconceivable vows but there are particular vows so you know the, the vow or commitment to show up at ebenezer or on zoom this morning so all of you have fulfilled that prayer or whatever you want to call it so they're limited you know um, so for david weiner who's speaking tomorrow evening as a chaplain and when he's with a patient who is potentially hospice dying or with a family of people who've died or you know that he's trying to help them deal with that that's a kind of commitment or vow and you can say prayer but in the buddhist context is at least in terms of the dharma it's not about somebody else coming and helping although there are lots of stories about bodhisattvas in which they do that great bodhisattvas so it's complicated but yeah we we uh buddhism very much includes repentance and confession which are sometimes part of prayer or loving repentance in zazen zazen is wonderful zazen is uh many things it's having a chance to glimpse the ultimate wholeness of all things as I was talking about and see it in the particulars um, but maybe it's also penance for you know, all our ancient twisted karma to actually witness that to allow that to be part of what how we see so uh, yeah so that's a it, that's a complicated issue but yeah I, I think uh, it might be helpful to rather than this big word prayer just to think about the specifics of how you want to express intention would be helpful hi jen hi um i wonder if we could talk about something you mentioned early and that is um can you hear her on zoom yes okay go ahead and that is how dangerous it is to attach yourself to the ultimate reality and why that's dangerous. But to be aware of the ultimate reality is normal and needs to be done. Yes. But um, when you said attach yourself that it's dangerous to attach yourself to the ultimate reality. Like it's dangerous to attach yourself to anything too much. Yes, um, sure. I think another word for that is fanaticism. Uh, I don't know. If I'm, you know, I'm trying to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Or obsession is another word. Um, but yeah, it's to glimpse the ultimate wholeness and interconnectedness of all things. It's wonderful and we sometimes that happens in some dramatic way in 
some branches of things called Kensha, seeing the nature of things. Uh, that can be a dramatic, uh, cathartic experience, but it's also um, something that, that happens as we continue sitting. Suki Roshi talked about walking through the fog in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco and his roads getting wet. It's not, it happens, uh, it can happen with some un sudden understanding or experience, or it happens gradually and sometimes in ways we don't even recognize or realize, and that's okay. But what you're asking about is attachment to the ultimate. So there are branches of Buddhism, and there are many other spiritual traditions where realization of the ultimate is the total goal. Realization of the Godhead or something. Experiencing, I don't know what, some satori or something, some ultimate vision. Some satori? Satori is just a Japanese word for uh, awakening experience. Oh. Um, so, a lot, of, many spiritual traditions see that as the whole point of the practice. From Huayan and in Mahayana generally, where we see oneness of nirvana and samsara, or the oneness of delusion and awakening. Um, the point isn't just to realize wholeness, to have some deep experience or feeling of the ultimate, but to bring that back into, bring it all back home into our lives. And this world, with all its troubles, So I want to encourage everybody to vote next month. <laughs> Very important. For example, not to get caught in some um, mystical, I don't know what, vision or awareness. So, so I don't know if that responds to your question. But getting, getting obsessed or attached to, I have to reach, you know, Perfect enlightenment, or whatever, uh, is is uh, dangerous. It's a kind of obsession. It's a kind of fanaticism. It's, a, it's and it ignores the suffering of the world. And our practice is to be open to hearing the cries of the world. That's compassion for Buddhism. So there has to be that balance. Thank you for that question. And that's a question that we have to return to over and over and over again, to not get caught on either side, to find the balance of the comfort, consolation, whatever word you want to use, of seeing the ultimate, but also, and no Kafu, paying attention to each detail, taking care, not just paying, not just seeing, but taking care of details. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, any comments online or questions for Jerry? No. I'm sort of intrigued by this. Um, thank you for your talk, by the way. Um, the, the, the verses one says, like before eating, after eating, or watching it, and it men's. Uh, Ritualistic fields and life, and 
we see symmetry in some in some images. We see asymmetry in other images. Uh, the world now looks very asymmetrical. There's all this division and hatred and, and cruelty um, from some being in a or in a in a Buddha field in a different world system, looking down down or up or whatever. There might be a greater wholeness there. So, but I really appreciate your question because a big part of practice, a big part of understanding in Dharma is imagination. To actually use our imagination. Uh, I, I guess there are some spiritual teachings where your imagination is discouraged. You should just see this hardcore fact or whatever. But uh, in the Mahayana, Mahayana is, is a whole world of imagination and imaginations. And so to, to look at, so what you were saying is very good, to look at different images or metaphors for wholeness and reality and see how they, you know, some are chocolate and some are vanilla or whatever. You know, you, you, some seem symmetrical, some seem asymmetrical. And that's based on how, on our way of thinking. And that's, that's fine. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's, that's where we awaken. But um, just to imagine possibilities, you might imagine other <coughs> metaphors for wholeness that are not yet in the flower ornaments or in yet, but that, you know, so let me know. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Dylan. And I also add that, like, I think all of those images work and just accent different aspects of interrelation of, of reality. That, like, um, you know, the as you said, the mirror and the net have more of a mathematical accent to it. Um, and then the ocean, I think, can accent the the, the verb, the action, the the the, the actual frothing and combination and things meeting each other and combining into new things and just like all so but it's it's still it's still the um the the the, the way of how things work together to create reality yeah. thank you Dylan. yeah and the other aspect of it is that each of these images or metaphors or whatever you want to call them uh some may be helpful for some people and not for others mm-hmm. So there's an element of skillful means in it. How do we, some, you know, some people might be really transformed or awakened by the image of, you know, the, uh, the Indra's net. Some people might be more helped by, to, to awaken by the image of the ocean. So, yeah, how do, how do we use our imagination? It's also important. Okay, yeah, we have time for maybe one more. So David Ray, please. Thank you so much for this talk, Tygen. My question is kind of a kind of I guess uh, an add-on to Sophia's. So I'm I'm I am once again puzzling about the the seal, the image of the, of the seal, and and why it's called Ocean Seal um, Samadhi, uh, and how to how to take the thought of a of a seal, something with it, something that makes an impression or is an impression. Um, alongside the the surface of the sea, the, the surface of the ocean that is sometimes 
turbulent and sometimes just wavy and sometimes apparently still. But I, but I'm I'm wondering where the where the seal fits into that image. Well, it's not the seals that swim in the ocean. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's the stamp. Yeah, it's the stamp. It can be, and it's also a mudra. So these, so these hand positions, like this, and and you know, there, you see Buddha images, Bodhisattva images, with various different gestures. You can translate them as gestures, are um, kind of confirmations of various things. This is. Have no fear, for example. Um, this is giving. Uh, so uh, these are all uh, ways of sealing, stamping, confirming. Uh, and the ocean does this by reflecting. And reflecting sometimes perfectly serenely and reflecting sometimes with turbulent waves and everything in between. So that is a, a confirmation, a seal the reflections of, and there are, are reflections, uh, are, are confirmations or seals or stamps of this reality. And Dogen talks about, you know, uh, the, the moon can be, the full moon can be seen in, in an ocean or a lake and also in a, in a puddle an inch wide, the reflection of it. So, yeah, there's seals within seals. And, uh, but, yeah, there are also th these uh, in... In Asian cultures, in China, East Asian cultures, in China or Japan, uh, the Japanese word is tanko. David knows this. People have their own uh, stamps that they carry with them, and it and it's like for us a uh, a signature. So you, you stamp your seal with your the characters of your name, and that confirms that you've seen it. So this this idea of seal or stamp or mudra is uh, very complex and intricate and uh, very interesting. I don't know if that helps your question, David. If I may, like, yeah, yeah, briefly, because we're what, is, what the seal is. The seal is saying this is real. Ah, yes. You know, by putting my hanko on there, it is me. It's not someone else. Right. And to put that sense of reality on it. So what the ocean is doing is putting its seals, putting its sense of reality. On, on, on the samadhi or on, on, on this consciousness of universal being. Yes. So it's a seal saying that is real. Yes, good. It's a seal of reality. Thank you. Thank you.